listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Let's jump in. I've given you... um, or created for you a list of 15 um, steps that we're going over one by one and giving you scriptures for each one. The first two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, um, we covered eight of them. Today we're going to cover four more, which will give us 12. Thank you, Ben. Uh, And then, of course, tomorrow being Friday, we'll finish up the list. Zach Wilson, I wish I was going to see you in New England as well. I'd bring my chest set. And um, I want you to mark these down in your notes. I want you to um, mark these scriptures up in your Bible. If you will implement these in your family, in your home, in your life, these are biblical principles that will keep us in a place of protection. Um, There's no question. You know, we often hear uh, preachers say, how many know God's got a great plan for your life? It's true. He does have a great plan for your life. But do you know the, the enemy, the devil also has a plan for your life, also has a plan for your children, also has a plan for your family. And the key is, if we will make the word of God a priority in our families, if we'll make the anointing a priority in our homes, then no matter what the devil has planned to take our families out of the faith, take our families into the world and uh, use the spirit of Antichrist to manipulate, control, and harass them, it won't matter. It will not matter. And so that's why we prioritize these scriptural principles that we're teaching uh, so that we know that if God's word says it, that's my standard. That's my baseline. And so we're making the anointing and the word of God a priority in our homes for our children. Maybe you're a grandparent that's helping to raise grandchildren. Um, do the same. Be that person in their life that's a pillar of righteousness. I like to use that phrase, a pillar of righteousness that will not be moved, that will not be shaken. We stay on our principles. We stay on what the word of God says without wavering. We will not waver. And so if you did miss any of uh, yesterday or Tuesday, let me encourage you to go back and watch those broadcasts. Of course, all of these will be in a playlist for you on the YouTube channel. Uh, for those that are listening on the podcast, you can go back and, uh, and listen as well that way. But let's get into these now. I'm going to give you four more today, starting with number nine. We've already covered uh, numbers one through eight. Now beginning with number nine today, these are 15 actionable steps that you can take to safeguard your families or secure your family's faith. Number nine is this, guard your community and your friends. Guard yourself against wrong relationships. That's the key that we're talking about first today. Guard your community and friends. This is not some kind of a natural principle. This is a biblical principle. Guard your community and your friends. Don't just give anybody access to your life. Don't just give anybody access to your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives. Guard Guard those relationships. 
You know, there's a lot of people that would love, you know, I'll tell you, even when your kids are small, they don't have to go to every sleepover. They don't have to be at every person's house, right? You guard that. You know, one of the things we've had to deal with is um, people have said, what about within the family? Because we have family members that are unsaved. I have a mother and a father that are unsaved. They use foul language. They drink often. They smoke weed, whatever it might be. What I encourage people to do is say, listen, you're welcome to see the kids, the grandkids, anytime you want. Come over to our house and see them. Control the atmosphere. Because in our house, there is no smoking of weed. In our house, people aren't getting drunk. In our house, people aren't drinking. So you're definitely welcome to see the kids, see the grandkids. Come over to our house. Come on over for dinner. Come on over and hang out. Come over and spend time, right? So what we're saying is, I'm going to control the atmosphere, but you're always welcome to come and, and see the kids, the grandkids, spend time with us. But we're not, it's the boundaries we're talking about. We say, no, in this house, you're not going to be smoking weed here. You're not going to be drinking here in front of my kids. You're not going to be getting drunk. If you want to come over and spend time with them, then I don't want you putting things in front of their eyes that I don't want them to do. No, you're not going to use that foul language while you're at my house with the kids. Clean your language up. You're a full-grown adult. You have control over your speech. Clean your language up. Clean your language up. Morning, Ted. And so by controlling the boundaries, controlling the atmosphere of where it's taking place. See, I'm not just releasing my kids to go over to somebody's house that's living in sin. Who knows what's going on in those places? Who knows what's going on in their house? They don't care. They're not guarding against the spirit of this world. Who knows what they'd let my kids watch? Who knows what they'd let them see? Who knows what they'd hear? And so my kids' lives are important. That's why I guard them against these things. Guard them. They're not going over to everybody's house. They're not spending the night with everybody. And and see, you guard those things. Here's the thing. It's the community that needs to be proper and the friends that need to be proper. I've seen parents that have no problem allowing their young children to go and make best friends with somebody that uh, doesn't even believe God exists. You know, your best friend should not be an atheist. I mean, if you're a, ser- if you're a child of God, you're serving God, your best friend shouldn't be an atheist. That's biblical, by the way. That's a biblical principle. <laughs> I'm going to read it to you. It's found in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Let's go there together. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> and I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. You can read it in the ESV, however you want. But listen, listen to this. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Margaret. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Morning, Britt. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness. Okay, so let me just stop right there. The plain, the plain command is don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Don't what? Team up. Well, I would say becoming best friends with, becoming friends with somebody is teaming up. You know, you've even, there's people that say that, you know, the, whatever they say. You know, we, we say, you know, victory tribe. There's people that say squad, fam, team, whatever. Whatever words they use, they're referring to their friends. They're the ones they're closest to right? 
Don't team up with those that are unbelievers. So why would I allow, it's not that we completely stay away from, we still want to witness, we still want to love on people, we still want to share God's word with people. It's not that I'll never talk to that person. No, obviously I want to reach people, but I'm not spending all my time with somebody who thinks I'm a fool for believing that God exists. I'm not spending all my time with somebody who refuses to obey God's word, to acknowledge Christ, who's a rebel against God. You know, good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Cesar. That doesn't make sense to me. Why would I be, you know, the Holy Spirit, God, Christ, the Trinity, my best friend. Why would I want to team up with somebody who is rebelling against my best friend and my Lord and my Savior and the only true and living God. No, but we're real tight. We're real tight. How can you be tight? How can you be tight with somebody who is in complete rebellion against the Word of God and God himself? And we think it's cool. We think it's, well, you know, they're just friends and I'm just, no, don't team up with those that are unbelievers. Make your friends within the faith community. Make your relationships within the faith community. That's so vital. I don't know why people skip over this. I've seen more people pulled out of their faith because they've been hanging with the wrong people than anything else. And we treat it like it's like some little thing. It's not little. Show me your friends, I'll tell you your future. Do you know they've even done studies and proven that you will become the average of the five people you hang around the most. You will become the average of the five people. That's why I'm looking for people that'll take me higher. Do you know people that that form tight friendships? They've found this financially. They drive the same types of cars, work the same types of jobs, take the same types of vacations, live in the same types of homes, do the same types of hobbies, right? And I refuse to lower myself to people that have no vision to serve the Lord and to please the Lord. No vision to go higher. No vision to increase. No, to to literally obey God's precious word. I'm not doing it. And I'm not letting, letting it happen for my kids. We're not teaming up with unbelievers. We're not teaming up with atheists. We're not teaming up, you know, it's crazy. Don't team up with those that are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? This is Paul writing. How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? You say, what are you talking about between Christ and the devil? Are you calling those people the devil? Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil or Satan. You are of your father, Satan. There's only two people that can be your father, God in heaven or Satan. There's no in-between. You don't have to be, let me tell you something that'll blow your mind. You don't have to be a Satanist for Satan to be your father. You only have to reject God's fatherhood. Reject Christ. You don't have to be a Satanist to have Satan as your father. The people that Jesus was speaking to in the Old Testament it was still in an Old Testament context. He was speaking to them in the Gospels. He hadn't died or resurrected yet. But the people he was speaking to, they weren't Satanists. They weren't Satan worshipers. They were Jews. But you know what? They rejected his Messiahship. You know what he said? You're of your father, the devil, Satan. 
You don't have to be a Satanist for Satan to be your father. You just have to not belong to Christ. Why would I team up? That's what Paul's saying. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I'll welcome you and I'll be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. So what are we called to do? Separate ourselves from the spirit of this world and that includes people who reject God who mock God, who rebel against God. They're not my best friends. That's my best friend. What business does that person have being your best friend? They don't desire to please God. They reject God. They rebel against God. They're not my best friend. No, I'm not going to be linked up with unbelievers. And I refuse to let my children be linked up with unbelievers. Listening to that trash. It's not happening. It's not happening. Morning, Exxon. So you've got to guard. You've got to guard your family against wrong relationships. Don't just let anybody come into your house. Listen to Hebrews 10, 24. The Bible says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let me tell you, unbelievers are not stirring your family up to good works. Good works please Christ. It's impossible for unbelievers to please God. They're not stirring, morning hunter, they're not stirring your family to good works. That's why it's, it's important who you make friends with. It's important who your community is. It's important who you surround yourself with. It's very important. Do you ever think about this? I've preached on it often. That man who was paralyzed, a quadriplegic, on a mat, had no way to get to Jesus, but he needed a miracle. He would have never gotten a miracle unless he had four friends that were willing to pick him up and to take him to where Jesus was. And when they found out that the house was full, they climbed onto the roof, tore the roof open and lowered him right in front of Jesus to get his miracle. And the Bible says, and Jesus seeing their faith, that's all of theirs, not just the man on the mat, even his friends, Jesus saw their faith and healed the man. If he had not had those kinds of friends, he did not got his miracle. He did not gone to another level. Notice when they got to that house and it was overly full, overflowing. It's not just the man that had to go to the roof, but the friends had to go. That means he had to have friends that were willing to go to another level. Think about that for a minute. He had to have friends that were willing to go to another level. So, you've got to guard yourself against wrong relationships. Guard, guard your children against wrong friends, wrong relationships. Don't let them be taken out by relationships that are anti-God. He said, well, that sounds cultish. No, it's not cultish. It's a command from God. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command from God. I'm not letting my children be caught up in the nonsense of this world you know, one of the things my wife says, and it's very good. My wife says to our, our kids, 
is like maybe they'll come back from somewhere and they've seen somebody act a certain way. And, um, and what, what you find is this. They didn't, they weren't raised to act like that. They weren't raised to talk like that, but they get around other kids that just do it. And my wife will tell them, she'll pull the kids aside. She says, I don't know what their mommy lets them do, but I'm not their mommy, I'm your mommy. And I'm telling you what to do. We don't do that in this house. Understand that, that separation she's, she's verbally giving them. I don't know what their mommy lets them do. I'm not their mommy, I'm your mommy. And I'm telling you what to do. And we let them know real quick, real quick. I don't care what you saw them doing. We don't do that. We don't do that. And we let them know, what are we doing? Um, Jessica says, what do you recommend if only one parent is saved and trying to adhere to the word for the home and raising of the children? Um, Pray for your unsaved husband and then raise those children up in the fear of God and explain to your husband, if you have to make a case, why it's important, even even logically, look at the state of this world. Tell your husband, look at the state of this world. Do you want our children to grow up being that kind of a person? Or do you want our children to grow up with moral values? You want our children to grow up knowing what's right and what's wrong, right? That's what I would do, make a case and say, let me raise these children in the fear of God. Let me raise these children to respect the Lord and to live that way. Make a case logically if you have to. I'm not going to raise my kids like a lot of these kids are, acting wild. They got no, they got nothing uh, that's that's holding them back from acting that way. They just do whatever they want. I'm not doing that. I'm not raising hellions. I'm not raising crazy little, you know. I'm not. I'm not doing it. I'll not have to put my child on a leash to go to the store. I'll not have put. I'll have to put my child on a leash to go to a, an amusement park. They will obey when I speak to them. Amen. I don't have to bribe them. If you'll be good, I'll get you a toy later. I hear parents parent like that. If you'll just be good for a little bit, I'll take you to McDonald's. No, you'll respond to my voice and you will obey when I speak to you. That's the kind of child I'm raising. A child that obeys when, is, when they're spoken to. I don't have to give you 19 reasons. It's not a training moment right now. I can tell you later. But right now, I need you to just do what I'm telling you to do and obey. And I'm raising children that way. And I know, I know you are too. But I'm not going to have children like I see out in the, uh, in the world. Totally throwing themselves on the ground, screaming and crying because they can't have a toy. I'm seeing them on the ground of Walmart, on the ground, (laughs) screaming and crying, throwing a fit. And then the mom or dad's all embarrassed. Get up, honey, get up. Come on, we'll try to find something another, get up. So I'm not raising that kind of a child. That happened once, and once is all it took. (laughs) I remember we were in a pizza parlor one time in Kentucky, and I can't remember if Carolyn's watching, she could type it in. One of our kids, it might have been Maddie all the way back then. Maddie started, she did something. Oh, man. I picked her up, put her over my shoulder, and started walking toward the bathroom. She's reaching out to everybody else at the tables. No, please. Oh, no, we're going to go have a, a talk. And your bum bum is going to beat my hand. Because <laughs> I, I ain't having that kind of a child. You can be sure of that very quickly. So you really spank your children? I spank them. I spank them. You know why I spank them? Because the Bible says to spank them. And I can tell you, 
We've, if there's one thing we've had compliments on every single place we've gone, it's the behavior of our children. We have people stop at our table all the time. Your children are so well behaved, I can't even believe it. We'll have people tell us that. Ask my wife. They'll stop. We'll have elderly people. I've watched. I've watched. I'll go sit down in a restaurant with three kids and uh, I'll watch elderly people that are sitting close by kind of like, oh, here we go. Three little kids. We came here to have a peaceful meal. And now we're going to have this table of three, three little kids right next to us. Who knows what they're going to be doing? And when they sit, see them sit there quietly and, and eat their meal and obey or do whatever they're doing, then I, we've had them many times get up and stop by and talk to my wife and say, your children, I just wanted to let you know, your children are so well behaved. Yeah, they've learned to be well behaved. That doesn't mean that my kids don't have outbursts and all kinds of, of course they do. Of course they do. But let me tell you something. They learn very quickly. They can't just do whatever they want because we're not raising and I'm not sending them out to people. Yeah, that's right, Ben. Ben Fole said, it's funny how that used to be the norm. Kids were seen and not heard, but things have changed. Why? People have allowed the antichrist spirit to rule them, which, which, what does that do? It eliminates discipline. It eliminates structure. It eliminates order. If you're, if you're standing in Christ's system, what is there? Order. Decently and in order. Things are done decently and in order. If you're in the anti-Christ system, what is there? Chaos. Chaos. My mom said, learn self-control. That's right. Learn self-control. Learn self-control. Something that we're teaching Teddy right now. Learn self-control. Control yourself. Amen. And so we guard their friends and their community, who they're around. They're not just going to be around anybody. They're going to be around people that love the Lord like they do. We're making our friends within the faith community. I want the friends that I have. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So I don't want my friends dulling my blade. I want them sharpening my blade. Amen. I don't want my children's friends dulling their blade. I want them sharpening their blade. And that's what we've got to do. So that's number nine. Guard their community. Guard their friends. Number 10. Set a culture and atmosphere of worship and praise in your home. Teach your children to praise and worship at home. Let them see you worshiping. Let them see you praising God. Don't reserve that for Sunday mornings. And Wednesday nights. Well, we're going to church to praise God. No, we praise God at home. And our kids know that. If you've listened to my wife at all, you'll know that one of the things that she does in the rare occurrence that I'm at a revival and she and the kids are home, she puts the live stream on. And if there's praise and worship going on, get those kids in and dance and praise God. Amen. They'll see her running around with her wooden spoon in the kitchen, singing into the uh, wooden spoon microphone, dancing, praising God. They see it. We've cultivated an atmosphere of worship and praise in our home. Don't, don't wait. Don't wait. This is number 10 now. A culture of worship and praise in your home. And they're never too young to begin. That's why the psalmist wrote, I will bless the Lord at all times, Psalm 34, 1. His praise will continually, not just on Sunday morning, 
not just on Wednesday, Wednesday night. His praise will continually be in my mouth. All times, at all times. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will continually be in my mouth. And they need to see that. They need to see that this is not just something that we put on on Sunday morning to, you know, to, because it's our duty, you know, to start praising God on Sunday. No, no, we praise. We give God thanks. We give God praise. We give God worship. My wife will keep it on in the house. <laughs> I like that. Britt said, Lucy's always singing a church song at the top of her lungs. I remember getting that video <laughs> of Lucy singing, God will work it out. God will work it out. But I'm telling you, we put it into our kids' spirits and our heart, their hearts at a young age. At a young age. What does the Bible say? I'll bless the Lord at all times. Psalm 34, 1. All times. When the nation of Israel was believing God for a breakthrough, I want you to see what they did. You know the story in 2 Chronicles 20, where three armies gathered together against God's people. But people missed this verse. When they're getting ready to stand and receive a prophetic word from God, listen to 2 Chronicles 20, and uh, let's read verses 13 and 14. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So that means their kids, their babies, and their wives. They stood where? Before the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah. And what did he do? He began to prophesy. That means I'm not just going to come into the presence of God because I'm the adult. You know, well, me and my wife, you know, we come because we're, we're the adult. No. That's why I've seen even, and, and listen, if I'm stepping on toes, get some steel toed boots, but hear what I'm saying to you. We've been to places where people that are at the church all the time. Well, we're the pastors or whatever. So we just let our kids sit through the services on a phone or on an iPad or whatever because they're in church all the time and you know, we understand. No, our children are not allowed to sit in church on a device. They're not allowed to sit in church on an iPad or a phone and play games during the service. Well, they're in revival services every night. Good, good. Sit there and open up your Bible, open up your notes and receive from God. Standing in the presence of God with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Second Chronicles 20, 13. With their little ones, their wives, and their children. And so we've never allowed our children to sit in a service on a device. Well, you know, every single night of the year, there are 200 nights a year, they're in church services. Good. That's good for them. Let them receive from the Word of God. My mom and dad didn't let me go sit in the back of the auditorium with some book and just read books, read fictional books while I'm not in the back with Hardy Boys books while dad's preaching. I'm sitting up in the pew listening. And it didn't mean they wouldn't give me a piece of paper and a pen, but I'm not in the back, you know, with, you know, action figures kneeling down playing like other kids were in the pew. You know, and that's real. I'm just giving you the real behind the scenes. Others, pastor kids, just kneeling down, playing with their whole box of action figures that they bring to church. Because, you know, well, we can't expect our kids, you know, to sit through a church service. Okay. You let, them, you let them grow up like that. See how well they do. Back there with Batman and Robin. 
people on their phones and on their iPads. What are you teaching them? That the word of God's not that important for you to listen to. So just go ahead and do something else. <laughs> Carolyn said, I was stepping on toes yesterday. Next Victory Tribe gift, steel-toed boots. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, I'm not doing that. Oh, here, take daddy's phone. I know you got to sit through this church service. No, sit through the church service and receive. Listen to the preacher preach. Amen. Watch what it'll do for you. You'll rise up in the kingdom as a young kid growing older, knowing the word of God. Knowing the word of God. And so what do we do? In the home, we, we set this culture. Worship, praise. And then you watch my kids in church. They're praising, worshiping kids. They don't sit there like this during the praise and worship service. Watch, watch my daughter. She's got her, Madeline, she's got her hands raised. She's worshiping the Lord. Watch my daughter, Brooklyn. She's got her hands raised. She's singing. She's dancing. Watch my son, Teddy. He's got his hands raised. He's singing. He's dancing. He's jumping. Why? We teach praise and worship. We teach praise and worship. We want our kids to be praisers, worshipers, those that give thanks. And so you know what they're going to do? They're going to see it at home as well as at church. This is not something you just start getting engaged with when you turn 18 or 21. This is something you've got to be raised up from a young age doing all the time. Let your kids know we praise God. We worship God. My wife said, and they are told and taught we don't sit during this time. Now I don't even have to tell them. That's right. If I ever saw my little kids sitting down during praise and worship, I would turn around from my praise and worship and say, get up, stand up, lift your hands, clap your hands, sing, dance if you want, right? They know I'm not only just leading by example, I'm telling them, I'm instructing them. We are praisers. We are worshipers. Get up. I'll tell Let me tell you something. And, and, I, and I, I carry authority to do this. If I'm in revival services, I'll see people sitting there. The whole church is breaking out in praise and worship. And you see somebody sitting there in their seat. I'll tell them from the microphone, stand up. Stand up and lift your hands. Or get out. Because you're not sitting there with some bad attitude while the entire church, the power of the Holy Ghost is hitting the entire church body. And everybody's praising and worshiping God. And you're sitting there with your arms folded like a little bum. Get up. And lift your hands and praise the Lord. Yes, I'm speaking to you. Stand up. Are you crippled? Then stand up and lift your hands and praise the Lord. Well, I don't want to. Okay, then get out. Say, are you you're that harsh about it? I'm that harsh about it. I'm not having disunity because somebody's got some little bad attitude in the second row. Get up and praise God. Lift your hands, sing, or get out. This is a private gathering. We're here to praise God, not to look at your ugly face sad on a bench. Amen. <laughs> same, way I, same way I speak to my kids. Stand up. So you'd speak to another adult that way? Have and will continue to. Amen. Because I have the authority to do so. And I will do it. Because we're praising people. Not letting somebody sour attitude. Stand up. Well, I don't, I'm not feeling it. Okay. Well, what are you here for? What are you here for? He said, you'd actually remove somebody from the service for sitting down. You better believe it. And I have done it and will continue to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And if the ushers aren't willing, well, you better be sure I'm big enough to take you out by myself. 
Bye. I'll see you later. <laughs> Maybe. Because we praise God. We're, in, we're setting this atmosphere of praise and worship. Do you know the Bible doesn't say, lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting unto God, if you feel like it. It's so one of the things that I cannot stand hearing people say from platforms and churches. You know what? Let's just, you know, if you're comfortable, lift your hands. If you're comfortable, lift your hands because the Bible says to do it. If you're comfortable. We've geared things so much for people in church that aren't serving the Lord, visitors. We've become so seeker sensitive. You know, if you feel, if you're comfortable with it, just lift your hands. No, lift your hands because I'm running this service as the under shepherd and I'm telling you to lift your hands. Lift your hands and praise the Lord. (laughs) Well, I'm not saved. Try it anyway. (laughs) If you're comfortable, just sing it out. No, sing because the Bible commands you to sing unto the Lord a new song. You know, if you're comfortable, if you would, just close your eyes and begin to pray. I can't stand that nonsense. Get in unity with the rest of the body or why did you come here? And if you're not saved, we'll get you saved. Why did you show up? Set a culture of worship in your home and let your kids know we're praisers, we're worshipers. Amen. Number 11. Number 11. How we doing, Siri? Good? Oh, you got nothing to say now? You're convicted, aren't you? I knew you would be with your little antichrist spirit. Now, I'm going to speak to you. If you hear me and the family praising, stop just recording it to send to the NSA and you start praising. Hey, Siri, can you praise God? Hmm. I don't have an answer for that. I knew you didn't. Is there something else I can help with? No. I knew you didn't have an answer for that. Got a little antichrist spirit. You need to get up out of this phone and give God some praise. Do you understand? Do you understand me? She said, I'm not sure I understand. We're going to get her saved. (laughs) The Holy Ghost. Number 11. Oh, she's all blowing up my broadcast at the beginning, and then the conviction starts to hit, and she's quiet. See? <laughs> Number 11. <laughs> Number 11. We need to set it up so that we have counsel and impartation from mentors and men of God. That's what we need. Counsel and mentorship and impartation from men of God. That's Our children need that. Our families need that. That's why I'll never be, you'll never see me minimizing. That's why one of these steps was go to church when the doors are open. Because one of the things that we need <clears throat> as believers is um, guidance, teaching, mentorship, impartation from men of God. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, God gave gifts unto men, set them in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints. Well, I don't need a pastor. Well, the Bible says you do. Well, I don't need to go to church. Well, the Bible says you do. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. The Bible says you do, actually. The Bible actually says you do. Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. That's a command. 
The Bible says you do need to go to church. The Bible says you do need a pastor. Well, I don't need a pastor to be a Christian. Yeah, actually, the Bible says you do. It's there for the perfecting of the saints. And we need that counsel. We need that mentorship. We need that impartation. Because what happens? Those that have been sent to us by God as gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, have been set in the church for the specific purpose of building up, encouraging, and what? Training the saints unto perfection. The perfecting of the saints. That's why they're there. Ephesians chapter 4, you can read it for yourself. But let me, uh, let me give you this. Proverbs chapter 19. This is what happens when you receive that kind of instruction and impartation. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. That you may gain wisdom in the future. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. Proverbs 19 and verse 20. Get all the advice and instruction you can so you'll be wise the rest of your life. Stop neglecting the teaching, the counsel, the mentorship. I've watched people reject the advice that men of God give them. I've watched them reject words. I've, I've watched it. And then it's to their own detriment, to their own destruction. I don't think that's a good idea. I wouldn't do it if I were you. They do it anyway. And then what happens? It's, it's a mess. You realize God set people in the body to help us. To help us. You know one of the ones that will blow your mind? This, this struck me when I was writing uh, the book that I wrote, Further Faster, um, on the power of impartation. The book of Philemon, very interesting. Let me read you verses 8 through 11. There's only one chapter in, in the letter to uh, Philemon. But uh, verses 8 through 11, this is Paul writing. Listen to this. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So stop right there. He became his spiritual father. He was not his natural father. Paul became his spiritual father through training, teaching, and impartation. Verse 11, formerly... He was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So before he received impartation, mentorship, instruction, teaching, correction, he was useless in the kingdom. He was useless to Philemon. But Paul said, now that I've trained him, that I've taught him, now that I've imparted to him, now that I've mentored him, now he's very useful to you and to me. So I want you to put this in the comments. Impartation makes me useful. Put that in the comments. Impartation makes me useful. Impartation makes me effective. Hallelujah. Impartation makes me effective in the thing I'm called to do. <clears throat> Some of you know that, you know, I play the piano, I sing, I praise God doing that, but I, it's not because I took some course to play the piano. It's not because I went to college to learn music. It's not any of those things. You know what it was? I received impartation from a man of God, brother R.W. Shambach, who laid his hands upon me and asked God to give me that gift. He asked during a children's blessing service, 
he prayed and asked God to give me that gift. And do you know, God gave me that gift. Supernatural. To this day, I didn't go to college for music. To this day, I've not gone and taken classes for music. (laughs) It's just been the Holy Ghost and me studying to show myself approved and the Holy Spirit through that gift has come upon me to retain all of the knowledge that I'm, that I'm receiving. It's, it's Holy Ghost. It's nothing else but Holy Ghost. Impartation makes me effective. I didn't have the ability to do it before that. And then he laid his hands on me and imparted a gift. You know, you know what's interesting? Brother Shambach, to my knowledge, was not a keyboard player, an organist. He would sing, but he was not like a, a musician to my knowledge. So it's not that when men of God impart to you, they're imparting their own gifts. It's that you have to understand it's the Holy Ghost that's operating through these men and women. And the Holy Ghost is giving you a gift through a man or woman of God. It's a gift of the Spirit. They're giving you something from heaven. And they're they're assigned and anointed to do that, to give gifts. You know what Paul said in Romans 1.11? He said, I long to be with you. Why? That I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you might be established or strengthened. This is the book. You come in close. This is the book, if you don't have it, called Further Faster. And it's about how to accelerate your purpose through the force of impartation. This, this is available on Amazon. This is available on uh, Kindle. It's, it's available everywhere. Apple Books. If you don't have this, you need to get this book. It'll help you. It'll help you to understand the force of impartation, what it does for you. And that's why God sent men and women into the body to do these things. There's no question about it. And I received that. And what a blessing it's been to be able to lead others into praise and worship, to see people healed as we're praising and worshiping, see people delivered as we're praising and worshiping. That came through a gift of the Holy Spirit that when a man of God laid his hands upon me, something changed in me forever. I was useless in that area, now I'm useful in that area. I was ineffective in that area, now I'm effective in that area. Amen. And we need it. Number 12, let me finish with this today before we pray. Number 12, make it your discipline to lead your house by example. That's right, Ben, and by the stewardship of that gift. That's exactly right. Number 12, discipline yourself to lead by example. To lead by example in your house, in your family. Make up your mind. They're going to see it in me first. They're going to see it in me first. Hallelujah. That's a powerful, powerful principle. (laughs) You know, we've talked, my wife and I have been talking about this over the last couple of weeks, is that our children, anyone's children, they don't just do what you say, they do what you do. In fact, they do what you do more often than they do what you say. They're actually watching you. They're constantly watching you. You're leading your home by example. Paul, this, when I came across this, it struck me. And in fact, I'll read it to you from the ESV and the New Living. When I came across this passage, writing further faster, it struck me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17. 
I'm leading my house by example. They're seeing it in me first. They're seeing it in me first. Paul said to the Corinthians, so I urge you, verse 16, to imitate me. People think, that sounds so prideful. You tell them, just, how about just tell them, do what the Bible says, imitate you. No, Paul said, I urge you, imitate me. In another passage, what did he say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. So I urge you, imitate me. Verse 17, that's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. So what is he doing? They're using Paul's life as an example to model their life. Get that. They're using Paul's life as an example to model their life. He said, imitate me. I'm going to send Timothy to teach you to live like I live. He's going to teach you my disciplines. That's what, did you know that's what, that's all discipleship is. People, we get all, all, uh, you know, complex on it. Discipleship is very simple. Discipleship is simply imitating the disciplines of your master. Imitating the disciplines of your master. I, I wrote about this in the book. It's like Bruce Lee. Everybody knows who Bruce Lee is. You know, the, the movie star, the, the television star, the actor. He's a martial artist. Bruce Lee, the one-inch punch. But he got that good because he had a master in China that was so good nobody could defeat him. Ip Kai Man. That was his name. In fact, uh, he has, there's a series of movies even on Netflix about that man. He's a real man. If you've ever seen the series on Netflix, it's called Ip Man. They did Ip Man 1, Ip Man 2, Ip Man 3, and Ip Man 4. I think Mike Tyson's in one of them. But that was a real historical figure that trained and mentored Bruce Lee in, in Kung Fu. So what caused Bruce to be so good? He's imitating the disciplines of his master. Imitating the disciplines of his master, Ip Kai Man. If you don't have that person training you, teaching you, that you can model your life after, then how, how are you going? How can you do it? You have to figure it out from scratch. God doesn't want you doing that. God doesn't want every generation to have to figure it out from scratch, learning by trial and error. That's not God's way. God's way is that you learn by impartation, even the impartation of wisdom. God wants us to pass these things down from generation to generation, to teach the children to do what the parents do, teach the grandchildren to do what the grandparents and the parents do. And it should go from generation to generation to generation. That those things, it's like, you know, we do that with other things. You know, we have like, man, this was grandma's recipe for cherry cobbler. Man, she made the best cherry cobbler. Well, notice when she passed away, she didn't burn all her recipes and say, you learn how to do it yourself. You learn how to make cherry cobbler yourself. No, passed, she, she may have had a recipe book that she passed down to her daughters, that they passed down to their granddaughters. And we can still to this day, we can make grandma's cherry cobbler. My grandmother, who brought, you know, learned it from her mother, my great grandmother, Grammy Crawford, my grandmother still makes molasses cookies. Molasses cookies. And she's got the recipe of exactly how she makes them. They're my favorite thing. They're my favorite thing, those molasses cookies. And I remember when I was in Bible school, she would send me 
uh, sleeves of rolled up molasses cookies. And they'd get all the way to Oklahoma and they would still be so moist and soft and chewy. She'd have them wrapped up in um, uh, saran wrap and then tin foil around that and in a box and molasses cookies. And she's, what a recipe. She's got a phenomenal recipe. Well, I don't have to figure out from scratch how to make molasses cookies. I can, I can take her recipe. I can imitate exactly what she did and make them myself. And see, it's the same thing with godliness. <clears throat> Your kids don't need to wonder how you became so successful in the kingdom. They don't need to wonder why your family's so blessed. You'll teach them by your discipline. You'll teach them by leading by example. I love that. Teach them to live the way that I live. Teach them to live the way that that I live. They're going to imitate your actions more than they are going to obey your your instructions. Because they may, watch this now, they may obey your word while they're in front of you. But what is shaping them as a person is what they're seeing happen in the home. You want your kids to have a good marriage? Model a good marriage. Show what it means to be loving. Show what it means to be affectionate. Show what it means to be responsible. Show what it means to be a protector. Show what it means to be a leader. Show what it means to be a hard worker. You don't want your kids to be drinkers. You don't want your kids to be drunks. You don't want your kids to be alcoholics. Don't let them see you drinking ever. Well, you know, dad always knocked them back. I can No, don't let them see you do it. If you don't want your kids getting involved in it all, don't let them see you do it. And then the things that you want your kids to do, let them see you do it. Let them see you do it. Learning by example. The discipline, I'm going to lead my home by example. Hallelujah. So guard their community and friends. Set up a culture of worship in the home. Receive counsel and impartation from men and women of God. And discipline yourself to lead by example. That's number 12. Father, I pray for your people today. Those that are leading their homes in righteousness, leading their homes in godliness. I thank you that this is a new conviction coming upon every one of us. To not even let a portion, a small portion of the spirit of this world come in and affect our families and our children. Lord, strengthen every one of us by the power of the Holy Ghost to do what we've been raised up and called to do to live for you in these last days with no compromise in our spirit in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, putting a new fire in our belly. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.